welcome everyone to our i think this is our what is it sixth lesson seventh lesson already um so today we're going to explore chapter four in the sharia of the muna and it's going to really open up the conversation that the the main conversation, sort of say, of the rest of this uh, rest of this part of the Tanya, with the, which the future chapters are con- kind of going to follow through, and that is last week we use the knowledge that or the the premise of the knowledge that the chapter one and two set that creation is contingent on the energy that God created for creation to exist, and if that energy was pulled, creation would cease to exist. Based off that, we started answering our first question, which is how does existence not affect, not counter or take away from God's unity or God's existence? When we say in the Shema that God is one, that there is nothing that exists outside God, how can there be nothing that exists outside God if we exist? And in chapter 3, basically, he, he made the argument, if all of creation is contingent on its energy and it's an expression of the godly energy, then really creation is not at any point its own independent being. All it is, is a form of expression of God. So it's all God acting, just like the sun, which shines off light. The light is not a separate part of the sun. It's an expression of the sun. And the second the sun would stop to shine, you don't have the light. So it's kind of, it's not a hindrance at all to the sun. So the same thing, our existence is merely a coding that's a part of God, and it's not ever separate from God. And not only that, we made the statement that unlike the sun and the ray of the light of the sun, or other similar contingencies where you can, if you have the ability to step back, you could actually see like if you're looking through, like in our world, when we look around, we feel the light of the sun. We don't necessarily always see the sun itself, but we still feel the light of the sun. Or as we gave the example of AI, um, if anyone uses chat GPT or any AI program, when you want to get the results uh, from a programming, you don't, you just, you see the interface. You don't see the programming or the coding that's behind it. So you could be interacting with interface and not realizing that all it is is code and think that it's actually an intelligent, independent website that's working on its own, but really it's all coding. So in with regard, when it comes to God though, God is omnipresent and everywhere. So you could never in reality, you can never distance or separate God from his expression. And that left us, we finish off with a cliffhanger at the end of chapter three, if God is present and all we are expressions of God as we're making the statement, how is it that we don't feel that we're an expression of God? We feel as if we exist on our own. How is that possible? All right, that was the, make sense so far? That's where we left off. So chapter four is now going to introduce a very, very fundamental part of life a very fundamental belief in Judaism, a very fundamental, almost like this, the uh, secret to everything. And I believe Bev and I spoke, got to talk about this a little bit during the, uh, the barbecue this past Sunday. Um, and that is the concept of duality, or what we like to call in life the gray area. And 
we tend to think that everything is black and white. And what we're going to learn is that everything in life from creation at the inception at the beginning was done in a way where there's multiple angles. There's, there's dual forces and uh, dual forces and elements involved. And therefore the reality that we see is not so straightforward and simple. And we'll use multiple, we'll be introduced to multiple terms throughout that are and again we may not delve in major length into some of the concepts here where they're more they're explained in more depth elsewhere and some of them may be picked up and explained a little bit more later within this section of the tanya itself but the first thing that we're going to be introduced to is to the two names of god now what is god himself there's only one god so when we have different names for God in the Torah, we're not talking about different gods. We're talking about God himself. And then why then, if we have one God, do we have multiple names? One God, one name, right? So the answer to that is, is because there's no name that can define God. There isn't a description which quantifies God because God is beyond any expression, beyond any verbiage. He's greater than all that. So the different names that we do use or we do have for God are going to generally be different ways of we the way we can connect or comprehend God's connection to us. So they're going to express different aspects of God's relationship to us. So the two common names that we constantly see throughout Scripture and in our prayers is the name of the four-lettered name of God, yud Hey the Vav and the Hey, um, which that name is God's, the, the, what we consider God's predominate, the holy name, and we don't pronounce it as is. And then there's the name of God of Elohim, which is a little bit more commonly used and also within our scripture. Now, these two names of God, we're going to define over here in a, just a second express two different modes of God. Havaya, as we'll refer to it, the four-letter name of God, is the expression of God. The word itself, Havaya, comes from present, being, or creator. In Hebrew, Haya, Hove, and Yihia, which is past, present, and future, all carry the same letters, and the letters which make up the name of Havaya, and showing that the name of Avaya is the God which is present at all times in all places, past, present, future, and is the sort of say the giver, the the uh, when re any sense of revelation that we experience in this world is going to be a trickle down from shame Havaya. Elohim is the name of God, which is usually a which is, I'll give a little sneak peek to chapter uh, to chapter 6. Elohim has the same numerical words as the word teva, nature. So Elohim is the element of God which works in a way which we not necessarily feel that that's God acting. Or like nature, perhaps the biggest miracle that we experience every day is nature, but because it is so constant and consistent and and works on what seems to be a very clear pattern, we take it as we take it for granted or call it nature, as if it happens on its own. So 
Avayin Elohim expressed two different modes of God's interaction, the way God interacts with this world. One way is Havaya, which is the the outright godly spiritual force that you, you know you don't doubt. And Elohim is we're acting more subtly. Okay, does that make sense so far? So he's going to start this off quoting a pasuk from Psalms. Siv. It is written. For the Lord, Havaya, and God, Elohim, is a sun and a shield. Now, normally when you read this verse, and many other times when you hear this expression, it sounds like we're talking about two different things. God is a sun, he's a source of light, and he's a shield, he's our protector. Fear? Is that what how you would more or less interpret this verse if you read it? You read this verse, it says God is a sun and a shield. However, in the Tanya, based off Hasidus, he's going to translate the shield not as a separate thing, that we're talking about God as being a radiant and a source of light and a shield as a protector, but actually that they're one interconnected with the other. And the shield that's referring to over here is the shield that allows us to be on this earth and benefit from the sun. So while the sun is a great source of light and even a source of energy and all that type of stuff, on its own, if we were to stand directly in the ray of the sun, the radiation and the the radiation from the sun could be deadly. How are we able to appreciate and sit and bask in the light of the sun or even take the energy? If we the sun just shines on this earth, there is no way that the energy of the sun will be harnessed. It's only if we create um, solar panels and other systems that we set up, that we're able to harness the energy that the sun gives off. So the sun on its own, when it's shining, it either could be deadly or can we won't have the benefit from it unless we create a shield or have a shield mm -hmm. that protects us or enables us to do so. So mugging, the word shield, refers to a sheath around the sun to protect the creatures of this world so that they can bear it. As the rabbi stated, in the world to come, the Holy One, blessed be he, will remove the sun from its sheath. The wicked will be punished by it. Just as the sheath shields us from the sun, so the divine name Elohim shields the divine name Havavaya. So, and I'm going to try to explain this a lot because this is the key, this last line here is the key to the concept over here just as the sun itself can be harmful if not for another element standing in between the sun and us as we know our atmosphere right that through our atmosphere the we're able it protects us from the radiation of the sun and that's why once you go into space there's all types you need to have a spacesuit or whatnot or you need to be within a protected environment um in order to stand within the sun's radiation and not be harmed by it. So just as for the sun to be beneficial for us, it's not just enough that there's a distance from us to the sun. We actually have the atmosphere that protects us from the, ray, the radiation of the sun. So too, when it comes to creation, there's, there's two... Sort of say opposing factors which have to work together in order for us to exist, and that is the name of Havaya and Elohim. 
So if you noticed in the verse where it compares God to the sun and the shield, it uses both names of God, Havaya and Elohim. So the Tanya here is explaining that those, those two names correspond to the sun and the shield. Shem Havaya is the godly energy, which is the force behind creation. However, if that force of creation will act alone and wouldn't have a dueling force acting with it, we wouldn't have creation as it exists today. In order for creation to exist today, we need to also have the force of Shem Elohim, which is the shield, which allows creation. Now, why is that? This is what we're going to try to break down a little bit. And I may, if I skip some paragraphs, I'm just trying to avoid getting into too much terms and terminologies which need its own time to express. I want to be able to, that we hopefully keep, take away with the key points. So the name of Avaya itself, the name of Avaya denotes that God brings everything forth from nothingness into existence. So Shem Havaya, the word Havaya or Havia means to come into being. So from the Shem Havaya, the name of God is the force behind creation. The force that's able to create, and again, creation that we're talking about over here is the ultimate creation, which is not creating a reality from absolutely nothing prior, is the force of creation. And this force is an active force. Without getting into, I'll explain this concept a little outside more than reading it inside, the fact that the shame of Avaya begins with the letter Yud can it refers to the fact that it's not just a one-time creation, but an active creation. As he brings an example from Job, how the Yud makes the word a active verb, not just a past tense. And why is that? Why is God and the force of creation acting at all times? So this is, as we explained in the previous three chapters, this refers to the life force that is flowing literally every moment within all the creations from that which emanates from God's mouth and his breath, bringing them forth from nothingness into existence every moment, since their creation during the six days of creation is not sufficient to sustain their existence as stated above. As we explained before, creation from nothing to something can't be a one-time thing. It's an active, constant force that's constantly working. So the name of Avaya, the force of creation, is constantly at work. And over here, he's going to step into the duality of stuff a little bit more and explain that when we praise God, we don't just praise God in one thing. We have multiple praises. As so in the order of praise of the Holy One, and this is within scripture and so on and so forth, and in our prayers, we use the pray, we use an expression, we bless be he's written, the great one, the mighty one, and so on and so and the like. Now, if I can step back a little bit, I'm I feel like I'm, the text is getting away from me over here. Within ourselves, when we act or when we do things, there's different modes at play. When I am actively doing something, I'm usually that's a form of action, right? When I'm holding myself myself back from doing something, that's a form of inaction. Now, what happens if I want to give someone a large amount? Let's say I want to give someone a hundred dollars, but I realize if they only need those $50 and if I give them an extra 50, they're going to waste that. And I end up giving them holding back, even though I really wanted to give, the, say it's a child for their birthday, I only give them $50. So in that action, are you being giving or are you holding back? In a way, you're doing both. In that action you're doing, 
you're both giving and you're taking back. So the mode of creation for something to be could only be possible from Shem Havaya. Havaya is the act is the mode of of creation. As we'll explain in a second, we're going to connect it with the mode of chesed, kindness. Kindness at its core, if we strip about the ways that it's actually carried out, at its core, the idea of kindness is the idea to give. So when one wants the ultimate kindness is something which gives and gives and gives. There's no restraint at all in that giving. So the element of creation, of coming to be, that act, that mode of creation is possible and enabled by the force of Shemavaya, that force of God, that expression of God. However, just like as in my parable where you're giving but not giving everything, there's another element of God, which is what we call Gevura. Gevura is restraint. And that's restraint is another element. And sometimes kindness has restraint working with it. Right? We give kindness with restraint. And in a certain way, as in everything with life going in the duality, usually healthy giving has a certain restraint to it. You're not just giving carelessly. So this is the duality which we're going to talk about in a second. Now, when it comes to God, the same way we praise God for the ability to create, in that same token, we praise God's ability for restraint. As we'll explain in a second, because the same way God's act of creation is something that's beyond their comprehension, as we'll discuss in a second, the ability of God's restraint is also something which we have zero concept of. And this is going to lead to, again, where in Judaism, there's always constantly duality. We're always bringing things together. Because everything came up, there's always has to be counter forces working in order to bring out the beauty that there is in everything. That's why Judaism encourages so much relationships, marriage, partnerships, um, even studying, we try to learn with a partner because when two forces come together, we create something even greater. So as we'll see in accepting, when it comes to the forces of creation, this world is the ultimate result of two dualities coming together. And as a result, we have this world, which is unparalleled in any other form of creation. So what are the these two modes? We're going to dive into a bit a little bit more. So when we refer to God as the great one, the greatness that we're referring to is God's ability to create nothing from something. And that creation from nothing to something is something unparalleled. There's nothing that we've ever experienced in this world that we've been able to do that's literally creating nothing from something. It's not. As great as the fact that we're able to split the atom or the energy that, I'm forgetting what right now, the uh, the, the form of energy that they're able to, quant uh, why am I blinking right now on the word? All the greatest science that we're, we're discovering and abilities and capabilities that we could do within the world, they're all channeling tools or resources that already exist. So the concept of the ability to create nothing from creating our reality from absolutely nothing, that's something which is only God can achieve. So when we praise God of being great, the reference that we're talking about is his ability to create. And as we said, creation from nothing to something which is beyond our capability of understanding. So uh, this is what it's referring to in the text. So when we say we're, we're praising God about being great, refers to the attribute of chesed and the expansion of life force into all the worlds and creations without limit. 
so they may be created from nothingness and brought forth into existence and sustained throughout gratuitous kindness. It is referred to as great because it stems from the vastness of the Holy One, blessed be himself and all his glory. So the ability for creation can only come from God itself. That's why this is something great. For God is great and his greatness is unfathomable, and therefore he also bestows life and existence from nothingness to countless worlds in creation. So God is able to create, and it's amazing if you think about it for a second, as much as we are a world that is within a confined space, we also exist in a universe which is no one knows if it ever ends. So we are creations, we're limited beings, but we live within a vastness which is beyond our ability. We don't even know where, you know, how far it goes. And the amount of stars and world and 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 planets that exist, we we maybe only scratching the surface of what how much how much was created in creation. And what's interesting as well is the ability to create. There's nothing. There's no timetable on mankind continuing to procreate, right? So in, within our limited being of, uh, within our limited material presence, we also have a sense of boundless existence at the same time. So that's one of the ways in which the mode of God, which is untouchable and, you know, beyond vastness, continues to be felt even within our limited creation. But that's a, a, it's a side note. I don't want to get too distracted on that. So the nature of God is to give. So therefore, God wants to, has the ability, and when he creates, creates in a boundless way. Now, what's the flip side? And we see this within relationships as well. What's the flip side of a parent who just gives? A spoiled child. Right? The child never matures on their own. If a child is raised in an atmosphere where there's no consequences, and there's just giving and giving and giving, then they take life for granted. They don't live on their own. They become codependent. So in this same way, if God were to create worlds and God was, as the giver is always giving and there's no holding back and everything, it's God's creation and you feel how it's God's creation, would we be able to exist as we exist? Absolutely not. We would feel how we're contingent on God's existence. We would feel how we're part of God and we would continue to be part of God. We won't feel independent in any way, shape or form. So in order for there to be our existence, there's another form, another element that steps into creation. And this is the element of restraint. But just as this, just as wild and crazy, the concept of God creating nothing from something is that we praise God for it because it's beyond our ability to comprehend. This other force is just as well, only a godly act. The ability to be God and yet not and create a reality and allow a reality to exist and where God is not felt is something we don't relate to either. In our world, when we hold back, what does it mean by holding back? We don't give something. But that's not like it when it comes to God. When we say that God restrains himself or God holds back, it's not that God, let's put it this way. In our world, we have light and dark. Day and night. So this is, I'm assuming this is a hypothetical question. Is darkness a actual reality or is that darkness the absence of light? Is darkness an actual force or is darkness the absence of light? The absence of light. The absence of light. 
So usually when we restrain, the reality that we know, usually restraint means that we're not we're not being active somewhere at a certain point. That's generally the way we understand things in our world or the way things happen. When I hold something back, there's less of something somewhere else. In creation, the force that's holding back is also God. It's not a new force. It's God himself. There is a force of darkness. In Kabbalah, it calls itself there's a candle of light and there's a candle of darkness. There's two active forces of God. One is overtly God and one is God in a concealed way. And they're both forces of God which are acting. So God intentionally creates a world in a way which he's creating it and he's fully present, but we don't feel it. And that's something which we praise God too. But how do you do that? That's not something that we can relate to in our reality. That's a force which is beyond what we're usually used to. So just as the attribute of chesed or greatness is a praise of the Holy One, blessed be he, exclusively as no creature has the ability to create an entity from nothing and sustain it. So just like creation is something beyond anything we were able to do in our science labs, so too the attri- this attribute of concealment is also beyond the intellect of any creature and their comprehension. No created, no created being has the intellectual prowess to conceive or comprehend this attribute and its capacity to create an entity from nothing and sustain it because creation not... Sorry, I'm, he's still... This is when you don't have... You're, you're viewing by bits on the screen. He's still reiterating the fact that creation is something which we can't comprehend. And just as no created intellect whatsoever has the capacity to comprehend God's greatness, which is the ability to create an entity from nothing and sustain it as it is written, the world is built with kindness. So it literally does not have the capacity to comprehend the attribute of Gavur, restraint of the Holy One, blessed be. Just as wild and un... Again, what we're saying, uh, we're able to comprehend or we're able to discuss to our ability the concept that the world was created from nothing to something. But to really comprehend it is hard to do unless we have a tangible comparable to compare it to. And in our reality, we don't really have tangibles like that. That's not the reality which we interact with. In the same way, the restraint of God is is not done in a way in which we normally experience within our own world with interaction with other things. And what is the restraint of God? which is the attribute of constriction and restraint of the expansion of the life force that stems from his greatness, from descending and becoming manifest in the creations, granting them life and sustaining them openly, but rather with a concealed confidence. Now, in order, again, stressing, like we said before, in order for us to actually exist, we cannot feel how we come directly from God, because then we won't have our independent feel mode of existence. So therefore, God has to sort of say, conceal himself, but he's doing that not by draping and outwardly um, taking a hiding behind something. No, he's using himself. He's hiding behind himself. It's kind of, I guess, the biggest, the closest thing you compare it to is when an adult puts their hands over their face and says peekaboo to their kid, right? To the child, you're hiding because your hands are on your face. But to an adult, you're never hiding because you're 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 using your own hands to cover your face. So you're still there. So in that way, too, we're like little children, which look at our reality and see independent world. But really, all it is is God's hands covering his own face. And 
as I said, this is a key foundational concept in Judaism. When we find struggle or difficulty within our life, that let's let's finish this text over here. The life force is concealed in the body of the creation, giving the appearance that the body of creation is independent entity is not merely the expansion of the life force and spirit and analogous to the diffusion of the sun's ray of light, but rather is an independent entity. So the ray of the sun, as we said before, even the ray of the sun, which is a distant from the sun, feels how it's coming from the sun and will never claim that it's acting independently. Yet us, who our total existence is dependent on God, we walk around feeling like we're our own thing. And that's not because God is hiding behind a curtain or found something to disclose himself in. No, because God chose to disguise himself within himself somehow or another. And that is a wonder, some a, a something of awe of creation that we praise God for. And although in truth it is not an independent entity, we are not, we don't exist on our own, but rather it's like the dissemination of light from the sun. Nevertheless, this is precisely the powerful restraint of the Holy One, blessed be He, who is omnipotent and able to constrict the spiritual life force flowing from the breath of His utterance and conceal it so that the sustenance of creation will not be subsumed in divine reality. So when we speak about the concealment of God or God refraining, it's not a God holding back and and his absence there's darkness the force of darkness itself is an act of god and again why do we need this act of god why do we need the darkness because if we the light will shine as is it would harm us going back to the radiation from the sun if god would create the world only through the force of giving and not hold back in any way shape or form we wouldn't feel our independence we wouldn't feel like we exist on our own it's only because god uses a force of concealment that we're able to see our reality this is kind of like anyone who does art i don't know if anyone here is an artist or not but especially if you're doing a black and white image it's the contrast between the black and the white which allows us to be able to see the image if we just use white we're not going to see anything if we just use black on black we're not going to see anything either we need contrast in order to see an image and with design coloring the key thing you want to have in the colors you choose is contrast. The more contrast you have with your colors, the brighter the imagery that we get from as well. So same to in order for creation to come about and where there is actual creation, yet that creation doesn't feel its source, you need to have the contrast between black and white. The mode of creating, which is a giving force, and a mode of restraint, which is a, and again, the restraint of God is a total different type of restraint that we are aware of, of concealment that's working hand in hand. So this is where I said before my parable, when you give only $50 out of 100, are you giving or are you holding back? You're kind of doing both. When God creates and he's giving, he's also hiding what he's creating at the same time, which are counter forces, which are working together. And this leads into a very key concept. The rest of the Tanya here, I'm not going to, I'm going to explain more outside. Um, but this is, in the Tanya itself, it brings it as a uh, parenthesis. And I think chapter five kind of follows along with this concept. But in creation, 
Speaking about duality, another form that we will that we come across a lot when it, there's the discussion of creation, we're using here the name of Havaya and Elohim. A lot of many other times, the we'll use the analogy of lights and vessels. So in order for there to be creation, let's put it simply: like in ourselves, our body is our vessel, and our light is our soul. The soul, our life force, is the light, and the it's encapsulated. How is it expressed through having a vessel to express itself in? So in creation at large, when we speak about creation, there's the light of God, the light of or uh, great parable for this is energy, right? If you have a battery, a battery could power, depending on the battery, can power multiple different things. So the, the battery, the energy is sort of say the light. And then there's the, the uh, machine or the phone, or the computer, whatever thing that battery gets plugged into. And now that's the vessel. So now that energy could either be, you know, powering a Nintendo, it could be powering a car, it could be powering a stove. It, depending on the vessel that it's connected with, is how it's expressing itself, right? So the this is also kind of duality. In, in creation, Havaya would be the light, and the name of Elohim is kind of the, the restrainment which gives it defined ways of expressing itself. Now, both the source of light and the source of the vessel in creation are both come from the highest level, from this from God in Kabbalah, when we speak about these terms of light and vessels in creation, we say their source is from a place beyond creation. What are we stressing over here? And this is what I wanted to go into with the time, with the overtime that we have. And maybe I'll discuss it more at length next week. But Bev, this kind of answers a preludes. And this is not that Tanya itself doesn't discuss this, but this is what comes out from these ideas. The concept of the way we look at good and bad within our life. I'm not going to get into the discussion of evil at large. Because that's a whole that's a this leads into and feeds into that conversation, but it's easier to comprehend it when we look at it in inner inner innerly more than in on the globe in a macro in a micro instead of the macro uh, issue over here. But within our life, and you see this within people that have gone through health, people mature that were able to, whether it was through therapy or themselves, were able to maturely go through whatever experience they had people which went through suffering or pain will not necessarily say that if i had it all over again i wouldn't have that why because those experiences made them discover something they would not have experienced without it in life itself in all areas of our life we're supposed to praise god not only for the good but also for the bad and we're meant to embrace every experience that we have as one that I'm meant to be taking in this moment. How do we have that? How, where does that the idea come from? It comes from this mode. Understanding that in God, God didn't create a good and a bad, or as some religions say, there's a Satan and there's God and they're fighting each other. That's not the reality that Judaism believes in. Judaism believes in that God himself acts in a way of revealed and in a way of hidden. Both the light and the darkness are active forces of God. And no point is God not being active. At all moments, God is proactively involved in the world. 
sometimes through his force of light and sometimes through the force of darkness. But both modes come from God himself. They're both God acting. Our reality, our concealment of God within this world is not a outside force. It's God himself acting in a way which he is not noticed or felt. And this contrast, as I said, when it comes to painting, the opposites, the contrasts of duality, when you have opposite forces working together, that's the way we discover new realities. And you have this within, like we said, even within learning or discussions, when in order for you to truly discover everything there is, you could only have that when we come to table and we argue. If you're in a room where everyone is on the same opinion, you're not going to find, there's not going to be any new discoveries. You need to have in a room where there's someone that disagrees, which challenges your way of thinking. You see within businesses, businesses which didn't allow to understand what their competition was doing, they eventually went out of business. Because if you're only one track minded, you're not opening yourself up to the next big thing or what else, what the other possibilities that with, are within you and within ourselves. As long as we're too comfortable with ourselves, we're not really ready to challenge ourselves. It's not just that we won't achieve what we want to, but all of a sudden we may look back and see that we help, we're, we're slumping and doing going places which we don't want to go. We constantly need to challenge ourselves. We need to confront ourselves. The more we do that, it's not just that life gets excitement, but we grow, we become better people, we become, we're happier that way. So life is all about contrast. And within our lives too, yes, the good things in our life, we're able to appreciate and understand that they're good things. The darkness is darkness. We don't see necessarily how the positive that's within it. But that doesn't mean that it's not a positive. So when it comes to ourselves, this idea and understanding that creation, both the light and the darkness is forces of God acting for our reality to exist, are crucial in our ability to accept whatever happens in our life, that this is, I'm in the, whatever moment I'm in, it's a moment I'm meant to be in, because God is the force that made this reality happen, and embrace it. And that's why we're able hopefully able i'm not saying that this is an easy thing but hopefully we're able to thank god for the good the bad just like we thank god for the good now is this the easy thing absolutely not in our prayers we all the time we pray in the morning every day that we shouldn't come to challenges we should live a life free of cha challenge free we're not looking for god to interact with us through the concealed force because it takes a lot of willpower to be able to embrace that in a healthy way and will be a lot easier for us to embrace God through the positive, that we see positive. And a lot of times when we ask for a blessing, we say, let it be revealed good. Why do we say the term revealed good? Because everything that happens is good. But some good that happens in our life, you know, it's hard to say, understand how that was really good for us. So we ask for things to come and revealed good. And this concept that's introduced in this chapter is, like I said, is a key concept. It's understanding that God works both our reality, both the parts where we feel God and the times we don't feel God are all acts of God. And like you said, this is not something easy to comprehend off the bat. And at its source, it's something way beyond because it's not the reality that we live in. The not the Sorry, it is the reality we live in. It's not the the, not the conceptual reality that we live in. We look around the world, we see black and white, we see good, bad, we see this and that. Now, if we were saying, no, things are a lot more complex. 
What's interesting too is because of the way our world is created, because we are creation from both the the light of God and the dark, the the candle of light and the candle of darkness. We also the another mode which is a key part in Jewish reflection is the fact of perfection is something we can flush down the toilet. It's not something we could realistically attain. Because we're not fully created by one force of God. We're complex existence from both. So we're never going to be as perfect as the angels, but we're never going to be as materialistic as we're never, we, but we're always going to have a bit of God within us. So we're never going to become completely ungodly. And that's why you also have in the world people from one extreme to the other and how where they identify or how they express themselves because both forces are there within creation and within ourselves too we have to con we're working through that so understanding the force and how god created the world helps us better understand ourselves and also helps us be able to embrace a little bit our life experiences and the key thing over here and this is something which Again, it's explained in many places a lot more in length, but the key concept is from this concept right here is understand that creation, all modes of creation is just God acting in different ways. So there's the overt element of God. And when the Jews people were at Mount Sinai and God spoke to them, that was, you know, God's revelation at its peak. But the moment God stopped openly revealing himself was not a moment that God was absent. It's just a moment where God is present in a different way. And in all areas of our life, in all modes, all realities that we experience, it's always God acting. It's just in what mode is God interacting with us? All right. I think I'm a little over time here, but uh, that wraps up the key concepts from chapter four.